Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. We just check in. We got everybody, I think. Hello, it's good to see you this morning. Of course, there's some of you online. I really can't see you, but love that you're with us this morning also. Uh, it's uh, going to be a good morning here. Who doesn't love good news? Who here likes good news? Right? Right? Some of you are stickers like, give me the bad news, but we're going to ignore you for just a moment. We're going to have some good news here uh, this morning. Um, it was actually about eight years ago now that I first met Lauren And she had been investing herself in our student ministries on a part-time basis, and she was working a side gig and all that. And through my process of getting to know the church and interviewing and all that, it just became really clear that she is absolute gold. And um, so just before I was hired, one of the things the elders said is, hey, we just want you to be aware we've actually hired Lauren full-time. Like, she'd been part-time, doing awesome, and we just hired her full-time. And my comment to them was, you made one of the best decisions you're ever going to make. She has been spectacular, and she has been a dear dear one for me for all of these years. I love being able to work. And she has walked in such incredible faithfulness in so many areas of her life. And so it's fun to be able to celebrate some good news for Lauren this morning. She is in the back of the room, so you can turn around and stare. You can look over the balcony and stare at you want. Lauren just recently got engaged. There we go. Kind of show us some of the hardware. Lauren, show us kind of some of the sparkly there. That is fantastic news. Uh, Travis is a great guy. I've enjoyed getting to know him a little bit too, though. He shies away from me. I'm not sure if it's the plaid or what it is, but uh, he's, he's a great guy. There they are. Yeah, there they go. And uh, dates are being established and all that kind of stuff, but we just wanted to celebrate with you, Lauren. We love you as a church family, and we are excited uh, for this stage in your life. So woohoo! All right. Good. That's what I needed you for here this morning, so you're released. I made it sound really important that she had to be in here at the beginning of the message. That was it. That's the important stuff. Uh, Let me pray for us as we dive into Scripture together, all right? Let's pray. God, uh, we're so interested to see what you want to do here and what you're going to do in our lives as we look to your word together. This This is amazing. Like You inspired Luke to write this stuff down. And to tell this story about how your gospel spreads. And so that same spirit that inspired it is the spirit that helps us understand and to see and to hear. And so we ask that you do that for us today. That you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. That we would be attentive to you as we look at your word today. Some of us are here and we're not even sure you exist that we want to follow you, certainly. We've got questions about those things. Speak to us, even in our wonderings, even in our doubts. Some of us are are confident in who you are and what it means to follow you and uh, stir in us and and continue to teach us as we maintain soft hearts before you today. Uh, We're excited to see what you're going to do. So surprise us. Meet with us. And show us more and more who you are and who we are in light of you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 6, if you would. Continue in our series in Acts. And remember that this whole book is about how did that which Jesus began, how does it spread throughout 
all the world. That was always the plan. It's, it's not a bug, it's a feature. It's, it's what God intended, that what Jesus began would spread to all people of all nations. And so Acts shows us how that, that happens and how, how that came about. And it helps do a couple things. One, it helps us see God's good first promises. When God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And so it, it continues to help us know who he is. But it also reminds us who we are. Uh, we, we are woven into the story. Because sometimes we ask the question, um, what's going on in the world and how do I fit? And how does the story about Jesus, how does this news about Jesus fit into what's going on in the world? And so Acts draws us into that. Like we are a part of this story that continues to emerge. Now we're not in the actual book of Acts per se, but, but we're here because of what happened in Acts and, and our reality is woven into the story. All right. So this helps us orient ourselves in it. This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, one key character named Stephen. So it's kind of cool that Jess was talking about Stephen ministry. Uh, and here we are talking about Stephen. Like we didn't line that up on purpose. It just worked that way. But, but here we are. So we're going to be taking a look, a good look at the life of a man named Stephen. He's a new character being introduced to us right here in Acts chapter 6. And so we want to pay attention to some things because it's going to show us... Um, it's going to show us a lot, actually, about what's going on and, and how this news is beginning to spread and what it looks like to be a part of that. One of the things I also want you to pay attention to, I want you to just kind of let, let the question run in your mind a little bit. Um, what is it that's worth living for? Right? Just kind of let the question noodle in your mind a little bit. Now, as we look at, at, at uh, Stephen, we're going to start in Acts chapter 6, and uh, I'm going to do some telling and I'm going to do some reading. It's, we're going to cover a lot of ground here. So we're going to read some specific uh, portions of this. And then I'm just going to talk a little bit about it. And I want you to pay attention. I, I want you to notice some things. If you were here last week, you remember after we read the scripture, I even said, what did you notice? And I, I want some feedback from you. And I want you to be paying attention to things. And what are you noticing in the scriptures that we're, we're reading together? Uh, and then that's what we get to talk about. All right. So I'm going to ask again, what do you notice? So, it, so pay attention. And uh, let's, let's look together. So as we look at the beginning of chapter 6, we, we're introduced to Stephen because there's a problem. And in this fledgling church, we've already been learning that they were uh, united, that they took care of each other, right? And, and people would sell things and give the money to the apostles. The apostles would distribute it to those who had need. And so they were learning what it was to be this, this new kind of family together. But like family tends to be. It got a little bit messy at times. And so right here at the beginning of chapter six, we learned that the, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews, right, different ethnic groups, all kind of counted themselves as, as Jews, but then they were following Jesus the way as Jews, because it really hadn't spread much beyond Jews at this point, all right? So these two groups, two different ethnic groups, were already beginning to be at odds with each other. And so inspired by the Spirit, the apostles said, well, we don't want this conflict to keep growing, um, but we need to keep focused on the stuff that we're doing. And so we want you as the body to appoint seven trustworthy men who will oversee this ministry. And so that's what they do. And so they look for men who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And Stephen is one of them. He's not the only one. There's a group of them, but he's one of them. And so this is how we're introduced to, to Stephen. And as that ministry continued, we're told, Luke tells us that the the ministry of the gospel continues to spread even as it's being diversified. 
Now look at verse 8. I want to read this section here. Chapter 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, because we're we're dialing in here, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Now opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. Uh, But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some other men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. There's a theme here in these first six chapters, right? They produced false witnesses who testified. They testified like this, this fellow never stop speaking against this holy place, the temple, and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently, steely-eyed at Stephen. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And so they began to to question him and push at him and say, are these charges true? And then in his defense, remember, because they said, they they brought the charge against him that he's blaspheming Moses. He's saying all these wrong things about Moses. And so what does Stephen do? We see in in, in chapter 7, and again, we're we're not going to read all of this here, but, but he gives this speech before the Sanhedrin. Like A lot of people don't like speaking in public, right? But he's having to give a a, a defense of who he is and what he's proclaiming and what the message of the gospel is. And so in doing so, he goes back all the way to Abraham. See, because again, they're all Jews here. And so this is everybody's story. So at the very same time, they want to create this division. He said, no, no, this is the God of Abraham is doing this thing. And you know Abraham, right? And so he tells the story about Abraham. And then he goes on to how they were trapped in Egypt and how God raised up another who would rescue them. And we know that as Moses. Right? Yeah, somebody said that out, out there. So uh, talked about Moses and Moses was the one who brought him out. Because remember, they said they were... He was blaspheming Moses, and so he's bringing Moses up, and he's talking about So he's coming back into this story of what God has been doing. Here's my encouragement to you, that later today, like, forget the sunshine, forget the warm, just cuddle up on the couch and read this. Okay, maybe you take it with you, maybe you listen to it on your Bible app as you're walking along doing stuff, but look at this, like, this is important stuff. We're not reading it all right here, a lot of the section of chapter 7, but this is so important in looking at the story. What is the story that's emerging? Now, what I do, I want to pick up with, um, with Stephen's speech. This is still here. Uh, he's talking about Moses, and I want to pick up in verse 37. All right, so let's look specifically at 37 through the end of the chapter. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. Hint, 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 hint. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. But listen to this, verse 39. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him 
and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. We don't see him right now. Verse 41, that was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, moon, and stars. And this agrees what was written in the book of the prophets, back in Hebrew scriptures. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have taken up the tabernacle of Molech, false god, the star of your god, Rephan, false god, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness, It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, listen to his words as they go on. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Verse 51, it starts to get a little real. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. How do you think they felt about that? When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at them. Isn't that a great phrase? They gnashed their teeth at them. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And then just one little piece into verse 8, and Saul approved of their killing him. I told you it was a lot. Right? We covered a lot of ground there, but I wanted to get uh, this sense of, of Stephen and who he was and what it looked like for him, particularly at the end. Right? So you read along, you, you heard this stuff, you were looking. What are some of the things that stood out to you? What stood out to you? Say it, say it loudly so we can all hear. 
Forgiveness. Yeah, you noticed that, didn't you? Yeah, we're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. That forgiveness is not incidental by any means to what he does just before he dies. What else did you, did you notice? Make us gods. Say it again, Norm. Make us gods. Oh, that, that we made gods, like humans made gods like to worship. Gold. Yeah. Gold. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, exactly. Kind of out of gold, material things. Yep, that happens. What are we saying, man? Yeah, there's. Yeah, yeah, like, like it, and it, it happens yet again. And so Stephen like finds himself in the line of the prophets. He just said, "You killed all the prophets. Like you disrespected Moses. You said I'm disrespected, but you did it." And then they turn around and do it. Like they're proving the point. Yeah, exactly. Good. Good. Somebody over here said something. Bearing false witness, finding people to to make claims against him. Yeah. Yeah, it's this kangaroo court. They were so angry at him and so furious at him, they would do anything to, to get him convicted, right? So they got people to lie about him, to bear false witness. Is there anywhere that we've ever seen other people bear false witness against somebody who is being accused of blasphemy? It sounds a little bit like Jesus, doesn't it? It sounds a little bit like Jesus. When the people kind of cried out for him to be killed, crucify him, people lied about him. And he ended up dying. One of the things that we're going to see as, as we look at this, um, there, there's, there's a lot of repeat. We're, we're seeing things that we've seen before, particularly in Jesus. And, uh, and, and Stephen's just an interesting character for us as this early church is getting going. Anybody else have something that you noticed in this that stood out to you? Say it again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you heard that, didn't you? He's, so here he is, he's turning around and he's looking at the Sanhedrin and he's saying, you stiff-necked people. Now that, like, like it's one way to like say you're stubborn. Like you've, maybe you've met stiff-necked people, you're like, I will do what I want, I will not relent, right? I will not. But there, there, there's a word picture with this too, this stiff-necked people, and it goes back somewhere. And it goes back into the story that he was just telling. That's precisely what Moses called the Israelites after they had made an idol. So Moses went up on Mount Sinai. He comes down with the tablets and he sees that they've made this idol like a calf. So Stephen is telling us about this part. You say, you made an idol. Like, you, and then, then, then Moses, like, you stiff-necked people. And he was calling them essentially cows. Like the, the cow is a stiff-necked beast. It's stiff-necked by its nature. And so when Moses said, you stiff-necked people, he was saying, you have become like this idol that you have just made. And so it was judgment that Moses was bringing to the Israelites. And now here, Stephen is using those same words to confound the Sanhedrin, the people who are supposed to be protecting righteousness in the worship of the Lord. And he pulls out, you stiff-necked people. Like this is gloves off, it's on. Like that, that, those are fighting words. Yeah, I'm glad you saw it. Any, anything else? Instead of defending himself, he used the scriptures. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Like look how he responded to these accusations. He anchored himself in the scriptures and he went back to tell the story. 
And haven't we seen this a few times already? We go back and we tell the story. The gospel of Jesus is anchored in the story of God who redeems his people. And so Stephen is anchoring himself, his response into the story of God. This is great. I love how you guys are engaging this. Like this is what we want to do with scripture. We want to read it. We want to let it stir something in us. And so even you can pay attention as, as you uh, notice these things. One of the things to notice too is how I respond, how, how we respond as we read it. There are some things that confuse us. Well, let's pay attention to that. There are some things that maybe make us a little bit mad. Why would you say such a thing? Right? Let's pay attention to those things. There are things that comfort us. There are things that challenge us. So we pay attention to even how we respond to the scriptures. And these are the ways that we explore scripture and let scripture do its work in us. All right? So this was, this was great. And these are some things that I want to pull back in to what we're talking about here. And we're going to see this come up. And one of the things that we're seeing with uh, Stephen, we're seeing how the gospel witness is spreading. And this was always the intention, that the gospel of Jesus, that, that witness to the gospel of Jesus would spread. Now remember, Jesus said, you know, um, when the Spirit comes on you, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Samaria and Judea. So we're spread out a little bit. And then to the other, every part of the earth, like all over the place, right? So we know that God's intention is for the gospel to spread. But we might even just start asking ourselves the question, how does it do that? Well, let's pay attention. Even here in the story of Stephen, it's beginning to spread. So maybe you noticed that there were Hellenistic Jews, um, kind of Greek-speaking Jews, and there were Hebraic Jews, um, uh, you know, Hebrew Jews, Hebrew-speaking Jews. And so we're already getting some of these different ethnicities, these different languages that's showing us that this body of Christ that God is building has complexity to it. And as it has complexity, its unity is threatened and yet God has a plan to bring this bold unity together in this diverse people. And so we're beginning to see it emerge. Nothing like what's going to happen throughout the rest of the book of Acts. But we're beginning to see this emerge. It ought to pique our curiosity a little bit and make us go, oh, oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. Those two groups. Yeah, okay. I see how that could create some conflict there. Because some didn't feel like they were being treated fairly because of their ethnicity. And so uh, we want to pay attention to those things and we begin to see this and how God is using that. So it's, it's beginning to spread. And then there's the, um, how the, the apostles set this group aside right here in the beginning of Acts. And so they, they said, we need to keep our eye on the ball and, and what, what's ours is, is teaching and prayer and we want to dedicate ourselves to this. But we want this to happen well. And so choose for yourselves seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And so they, they go through that process and they choose. Uh, and then the, the apostles lay their hands on them, anointing them, kind of spreading. So they're taking kind of what they've been given and they're spreading it to others. And so no longer is the authority in the church bound just to the apostles. It, even their, that responsibility, that authority is spreading. And so we see that in uh, Stephen. Oh, yeah, in, in Stephen, this spreading that's taking place. And it's the spread of the witness to the gospel of Jesus. Now, again, Jesus used the language of witnesses. We've, talk, we've heard others use the language of witnesses. The apostles talk about this. So the witness is spreading. Now, let's just pause here for a second. Because the word witness comes from, and this isn't just for the sake of being a nerd, but, but 
there is some nerd here in this. The, the, the word witness comes from the Greek word martus. Or v- different variations of that, martus. Does that word ring a bell to you? Particularly in the light of what we see, martyr. Exactly. It means the same word. So being a witness of Jesus is the very same thing as being a martyr. And being a martyr is being a witness. Those things are tied together. The word means those two things. And so it's just something as we see the witness spread, we see its impact and we see its cost as the witness to the gospel of Jesus spreads. And so uh, what we see about uh, Stephen and his witness is his witness, Stephen's witness is tied to his character. Stephen's witness is tied to his character. We see that right in the beginning of Acts chapter 6, again, when the, the apostles say, choose for yourselves seven who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And so as Stephen is chosen, we are to understand that he and the others were filled with the Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit. Um, obviously, visibly, others people saw that in them. And he had wisdom. Wisdom. If you see wisdom in your text, that's a good thing to underline there about his character. Wisdom isn't just, oh, he had smarts. Wisdom is about how we live, not just the knowledge that allows us to live, but how we live. And wisdom throughout the Hebrew scriptures is described as walking with God. And so what they're saying about Stephen is he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and here's a man who knows how to walk with God. That's what wisdom is. And so his character is revealed in this. We see in um, chapter 6, Uh, Verse 8, kind of the first part that we read, uh, uh, verse 8, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. He was a man who was full of God's grace, and he was a man who was filled with power. Stephen's witness was tied to his character and the work that God was doing in shaping his character. We see in the next verse, as opposition arose, and we see throughout the rest of this, he stood firm in the face of opposition. That's character. Stephen's witness is tied to his character. Everybody's witness is tied to their character. Right? There is a way that God is shaping and forming the hearts of his people, the lives of people, that the character exudes. The character is witness to the gospel of Jesus. Stephen's witness is expressed in practical love for those around him. Right, so we see this right here in verse eight. Uh, you know, what, why he was chosen in the first place was giving, giving uh, food rations to those who had need, uh, the widows who had need. So we see that in the first part of chapter six, uh, verse eight of chapter six again, right? Stephen, a man full of great, uh, God's grace and power. What did he do in light of that? He performed great wonders and signs among the people. Oh, this is interesting. This is interesting. It's not just the apostles performing signs amongst the people anymore now. It's spreading. The gospel of Jesus is spreading with power, isn't it? And we see that on display in Stephen's life. And out of his character flowed God's power, and he expressed that as love to the people around him. 
and he performed great wonders and signs among the people. They had needs not just for food, they had other needs too. And we don't, we're not given details of what those were. Were they healings? Um, uh, was it um, kind of prophetic word or... Um, what was the, we're not told. We're just told it's signs and wonders. That, that these same ways that we were describing the apostles now are ways that we're describing C, uh, Stephen. It's, it's spreading, isn't it? it? It's beginning to work its way out. Stephen's witness is also tied, and, and we talked a little bit about this. It's tied to the story of God culminating. It's tied to the story of God which culminates and always leads us to Messiah, who is Jesus of Nazareth. Like the Bible, the Bible is a unified story that leads us to Jesus. Because Jesus is Messiah. And so all along here in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament, what we continually find is this aching longing and God's promise to provide Messiah, the anointed one, that there would be one who would rise up. And so we read the, um, our Old Testament going, well, is it him? Nope. Is it him? Oh, no. Is it him? Definitely not him. Is it him? It gets creating in us this longing, this wondering, like when will the one that God promised come? He promised it way back in Genesis chapter 3 that there would be one who would come up and rescue us from the bondage of sin and death. Who is this one? And so when Jesus says the time has come, the time has come, it's now the kingdom of God is in your midst. He is proclaiming that all of God's promises are now coming to bear in him as Christ, as Messiah, as anointed one. And so he goes back through and he looks at Abraham, God's promise to become a great nation that would be a light to the world. But notice, even in the story of Abraham, and this is super, super summary here, right? So we're not getting in, into the weeds at all on this thing. But in Abraham, there's one man that God calls up out of which comes a great nation. The nation that God has said, I will bless you to be a blessing to all people. I will make you into a nation that you would be a light to all nations, right? This is what Israel's calling and vocation was, was to be a light, and it came out of the one. So we want to notice some of these patterns that emerge. Out of one, God grew a new people, but it never lived up to its calling to be the light. Moses is next. People were trapped in slavery, God's people were trapped and caught in Egypt. And he was there to rescue, that God would call the one to rescue his people. But he wasn't the one. And what do we learn also is that Moses was rejected by his people. And they worshipped an idol of gold. But even Moses said, inspired by the Holy Spirit, there will be one that God will raise up who will be like me. So, so, so watch, wait, one is coming, and you'll begin to recognize him in the pattern of Moses. Then out of Moses, we get the temple. There was the wandering in the wilderness where they had the tabernacle, the place where God's presence was in the midst of his people. And then as they went into the promised land, David, King David, so badly wanted to build an actual building, the, a temple where God would be worshipped, where God could reside in the midst of his people. God didn't let David do it. It was David's son, Solomon, that built the temple. But even then, 
Even then, Stephen is going on. God's presence is not contained by a building. They built the space because it was a model of God's presence with. And even how they built it, the, the designs that they had were all uh, woven into this of, of Eden, that God was leading them into his presence where they would walk with him, for that is always the source of wisdom to walk with God. And so Eden becomes a picture of what that is. And the goal wasn't to go back to Eden, but it provided that picture. So the tabernacle was interwoven with the imagery that harkened back to Eden. The temple is built with the imagery that harkens back to Eden. Why? Because that is the place that God dwelled. God dwelt with his people. But what is Stephen affirming here? God, God's presence, God's dwelling with, isn't in a small little box. The whole earth is his. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. Everything is his. The glory of God through Messiah, through the one, would fill all of creation. There's this thing that he's doing, that, that Stephen is doing. He's, he's, he's using these stories. It's sort of the, the run-up. It's certainly a recap. These were not stories that were unfamiliar to them, even if they're unfamiliar to us. They were not unfamiliar to the people he was talking with. But, but he's, he's, he's taken a run up to the moment that he's building. So he's, he's stepping back, he's stepping back. So uh, my son Isaac uh, has gotten into throwing javelin. Now I, I have not done this, but I've watched him do it and he's, he's really pretty good at it. So it, it, as he's learning this thing, you, you go back and you got this big thing and you're stepping back. I'm trying not to get too far out of the light here or anything like this, but you, you set yourself up and then you've got to run up to it. Like if you stood at the line and you just went, eh, you probably wouldn't get very far, right? So you got to pull back and then you run right up to this thing and you want to make sure that you throw it. You've got this momentum, but you don't want to trip over the line because then you fault and then you don't get any points, right? So um, whether it's a javelin or discus or long jump, you kind of do the same thing. This is sort of what Stephen is doing as he's telling the story. He's backing up, he's backing up, he's backing up, he's backing up. And then he goes for it. He takes the run at it. And, he's, uh, and he comes out with this whole, you stiff-necked people, right? That's the throw right there. That's where this was whole, all leading. Because the very thing that they would have judged the early Israelites in doing was the thing that they themselves were doing. They were so concerned in keeping God in a box and guarding the space of temple. And he's saying God isn't contained in a building built by human hands. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. And so he lets it fly, you stiff-necked people. You're doing the same thing that our ancestors have always done. And of course, that just lit them up. Lit them up. Did you hear that? They La, 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 la. They covered their ears and they yelled. They wouldn't even stand for any of it. They gnashed their teeth. Gnash, gnash, gnash. I, don't, like, I, I can't even think of the time that I've gnashed my teeth. I've been so mad. But you can begin to imagine it. It seems a little bit cartoonish even, right? We're gnashing our teeth. Which, which again, when you gnash your teeth, what gets stiffer? Only again, proving the point, right? You stiff-necked people. And so they bring him outside. They take him out of the city. Don't want to do this, this deed in the city. Might defile it, but you take him out of the city and they begin to hurl stones at him. They're hurling these stones. 
They take off their outer cloaks and they lay them. There's a, a guardian of the coats, a man named Saul, one who was zealous for the law. And he stood by and watched. And what we get in 8 verse 1 is this man who held their coats approved of Stephen's death. So just like with Jesus, they took Jesus outside of the city, the hill of Golgotha. They killed Jesus on a cross. They killed Stephen with a stone. But listen to the things that he's saying in this. Right There's this vision that he has. Go back to um, chapter 7, uh, verse 59. Verse 59. Nope, nope, sorry. I had it written down correctly. I was overcorrected myself. Verse 56. So he, uh, he's there. He's getting the rocks thrown on him. Verse 56, he says, look, he said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. That's a very important phrase. And we're not going to do a deep dive on it right now, but it's very important. That phrase, son of man, is not an incidental phrase. It's a very intentional phrase out of this vision that Stephen is having in this. What he's seeing is Jesus, Messiah. Now, how do we get that? That phrase, the son of man, sitting in God's presence, being in God's presence, goes back to the prophet Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. Now, in Daniel, we get a bunch of interesting visions and dreams from this guy. But one of them in particular uh, is this vision that he has that he's looking into like the courtroom of God, the throne room of almighty God, and then there comes one who is ushered into his presence, and, and Daniel says it's one who looks as the son of man. And that's very significant, because remember, they're asking this question, who will rescue us? Who will rescue us? Who will rescue us? Is it him? Is it him? Is it him? And then Daniel sees this vision of the one who is able to enter into Almighty God's presence. This is the one. This is the one that can rescue us. But he doesn't give it a name at that point. He's, Daniel's just seeing this vision. The one who is as the son of man. He took the form of a man. The one who is like the son of man entered into the very presence of almighty God. He is the one who will rescue us. Right? So we got Daniel way back. And then we look at the life of Jesus. The most, uh, the, 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 the most frequent way that Jesus talked about himself was with that phrase. The son of man. It even worked it awkwardly into sentences. The son of man does not want lunch today. I mean, it wasn't exactly like that, but, but he talked about himself continually as, as the son of man. And it wasn't just because he's speaking of his humanity in light of his divinity. Jesus was saying, hey, you guys, Daniel, I'm the one he was looking for. Jesus is the only one righteous enough to enter into the presence of God. He died, he rose again, and then he went up in the clouds. When Daniel talked about the Son of Man, he was ushered into the presence of God through the clouds. And so Jesus was ascended into heaven where he took his place at the right hand of God as the Son of Man. And so here's Daniel affirming, one, Jesus is the Son of Man. This is who I see. I'm seeing the one who was promised has come. 
There's not an empty throne at the right hand of God. It's not an empty throne room. It's filled. I see one who is there at the very right hand of God. So he's saying it's happened. And secondly, he's saying, I'm seeing it. All of those things were just way too much for them and the rocks rained down even harder. And so he's tying all of this story leading up to the life, death, resurrection, and ascension and enthronement of Jesus as the Christ, as Messiah. And then, again, you talked about this. He forgives them as he dies. Listen again to the words. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. See, the witness, the, the who he is, is carrying on the ministry of Jesus. It's not, oh, Jesus did his thing back here, and now we're just kind of left to figure it out on our own. No, Stephen was a man full of wisdom. That means he knew how to walk with God by the Holy Spirit. And when we walk with God by the Holy Spirit, the ministry of Jesus continues. And so what's screaming from the life of Stephen is that his witness, martyrdom, witness martyrdom, same word, is anchored in Jesus who he is, what he has done, and what he is doing in this day. Again, he looks towards heaven. He sees him. In this moment, I see him. And the heavens opened up, and I see one, see the Son of Man standing there with God. It's where Jesus is in this moment. And he's drawing us into this. And the way of Jesus is this cruciform love. And while he didn't die by cross, he died at the hands of men who accused him, who judged him falsely, who bore false witness against him, just like Jesus did. But he didn't defend himself. He didn't run away. He didn't change his tune. He stood firm, even to the point of death. Stephen is showing us what witness looks like as it spreads. One of the questions that we ask ourselves, maybe we don't ask it when we're eight, nine, or 10, we're busy doing other stuff. But as we grow up a little bit, we begin to ask ourselves this question, what is worth living for? What am I really here for? What is worth the expenditure of my life? What is worth dying for? And we've all got to answer the question, And as we look at the world around us, we live in a world that barely offers anything worth living for, let alone dying for. We look at the ways that people around us, our our neighbors, our co-workers, our fellow students, maybe even ourselves as we look in the mirror and we say, what are you living your life for? People who give their lives for the patriots, People who give their lives for their job. They spend their life and they wring it out as if that was what gave them ultimate importance. And what we see is that each of us, like the Israelites, are all too prone to craft an idol of our own choosing. A figurine of God something that we can worship, something that will make sense of our life, something that is worth living for, maybe even dying for. 
But what we find is it's just dust that blows away in the wind. And we're left holding nothing and asking ourselves the question, what have I lived for? What would I die for? And it certainly isn't only through Stephen, but what we're drawn into is this story that emerges and what witness looks like when we say that we are empowered by his spirit to be witnesses near and far, witnesses of the gospel of Jesus. This, my friends, is worth living for and dying for. For in him, in all the ways that the story leads to him, we are woven into, invited into this story that we too might spend ourselves through the power of his spirit as witness, as martyrs for the gospel of Jesus. Now there's a pretty good chance that most of us will not be martyred in the terms of somebody killing us because of our faith in Jesus. But we will all die short of Jesus' return. What will you have spent your life on? Was it worth it? Or was it merely dust? Maybe even gold dust. But even gold dust is still dust. And so Stephen draws us in to show us what it looks like to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus. And the invitation of Jesus was always, come and follow me. And Jesus said, if anybody wants to be my disciple, let them pick up their cross and follow me. The life of a disciple is a life that is expended on Jesus. It doesn't mean we all become pastors or vocational missionaries that go overseas. Some of us will. Some of us should. But it means that we become truck drivers and teachers and doctors and accountants and firefighters and lawyers that we become moms and dads and aunts and uncles that wring ourselves out for the gospel of Jesus. And we recognize it isn't a, a meal with just a little bit of whipped cream on top. We're not asking Jesus to make our life better. We're asking Jesus for his forgiveness and grace to draw us into his life, for his life is the one that gives meaning his life is the one that gives substance. His life, he is the one worth dying for. That means he is the one worth living for. You don't know when the watch stops. It might be today, it might be tomorrow, it might be 40, 50 years from now, but there will be a day when you ask yourself the question, what did I live for? What did I live for? What did I spend myself on? And here as I go face to face with death, what do I die for?
question only you can answer. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good. You are kind. You are loving. You have drawn us to yourself by your grace. We want to be a people who bear witness to who you are today, tomorrow, forever. So lead us to be a people who are filled with your spirit and wisdom, a people who are full of your grace and power, that our lives might be wrung out, that our lives might be spent for you and with you. Because this is our greatest good. This is what you have made us for. So we pray that you would lead us to this through conviction, through grace, through mercy. Give us an imagination for what it is to follow you and to spend ourselves in your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me if you would. If you have never made the decision to give your life to Jesus, maybe you've dabbled around the edges, maybe you've played religion, maybe you've even looked a lot like a Christian, but you know that you have never given yourself to him and there's something stirring in you to do that today, you can do that. You can do it wherever you're at. There's nothing magic about being up here, but sometimes it is helpful to talk with somebody. Sometimes it is helpful to to come just kind of empty pockets and I'm not even sure what to do, but I know I want Jesus and I want life in him and somebody can walk you through that. And so if that feels helpful for you and that's a step of faith that you want to take today, our prayer team is going to be right up here and they'd love to have that conversation with you. All right. That you might know life and that you might be drawn into the life of Messiah, a life that is worth living and frankly, a life that is worth dying. May his life be in you because we know that he is for you and make you walk with him in the fullness of his spirit, power, and grace as you go. Thanks for being here. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.